First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. News this morning that Lordstown Motors is filed for bankruptcy. It's a story we'll be talking about tomorrow on Today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Leila Tassi, and Laura Johnston. And we're going to start today with Ohio State University. It tried everything to get out of this one, but the highest court in the land has spoken or not spoken. Can the lawsuits against the school over the sex abuse of Dr. Richard Strauss those many years ago go forward, Lisa? Yes, they can. And we're talking about more than 100 lawsuits that date back decades. So the U.S. Supreme Court declined to take up a request by Ohio State to have those sexual abuse lawsuits against former athletic department director Dr. Richard Strauss tossed out. Um, So that leaves in place an appeals court decision that allowed the suits to go forward. The Supreme Court did not give any reason for their rejection of OSU's appeal. Richard Strauss uh, abused about 300 mostly male students from the 1970s to the 1990s. He died back in 2005. Ilan Maisel, who is an attorney for some of the victims, says this is a significant victory. OSU has hidden behind phony defense on the statute of limitations, and we intend to hold them accountable once and for all. In a statement from the university, they say they're disappointed with the Supreme Court that they didn't review Title IX claims that have had a big legal impact on college and universities. They say this case effectively eliminated the statute of limitations on Title IX sexual abuse cases and expanded it to literally anyone who steps foot on a, camp- on a campus. Yeah, I, these people deserve their dang court. I really hope it goes to trial because I do think that the Congressman Jim Jordan is, would become part of that trial, that he mm-hmm. would be brought in to testify because there were people that claimed he knew about it and ignored it. He says, I had no idea. Uh, But it would be great to have that issue explored in court and for these people to get their due. Ohio State has done everything possible not to be accountable. They say, oh, we've paid millions to settle settle Mm -hmm. other claims. But, you know, these people deserve to be heard. That's right. Everybody deserves their day in court. And we're talking hundreds of victims here. And OSU has paid out about $60 million in settlements to about 100 victims. But there are many more. Yeah, I, I... I imagine they'll settle them all because they do not want this to be open court testimony because it's so horrible and embarrassing. And it's just figuring out what the pain point is for the cash payment. But this is it. It's going forward. The Supreme Court did not take the case. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
We talked last week about how Ohio Senate President Matt Huffman is cozying up to cigarette companies with several moves in the budget. One would stop Cuyahoga County from taxing the vaping industry. Reporter Jeremy Pelzer explored this topic more deeply. Layla, what did he find? Well, the, the item that's been introduced into the Senate's budget would repeal part of Senate Bill 164, which was signed into law last January. That law currently allows Cuyahoga County to create, with voters' permission, a tax on vaping products that mirrored the county's existing tax on cigarettes. So far, Cuyahoga County hasn't pursued that, though, but they can. Senate Bill 164 also changed the county's cigarette tax from a flat 30 cents per pack charge to 9% of the wholesale price of cigarettes. So as cigarette prices rise, that means more money will be collected than under the flat rate. All of that was to help stem the loss in cigarette tax revenue that has been happening over time because fewer people are smoking and also because Cuyahoga County's population has decreased overall. But if the Senate's budget is approved with proposed amendments, the cigarette tax would revert back to a flat per rate, per pack rate, even though Cuyahoga County could raise its cigarette tax above 30 cents per pack if county voters approve it, and it would block the vaping tax. Jeremy Pelzer tells us that the reason for rolling back Senate Bill 164 is because after it was passed, the Ohio Department of Taxation discovered that charging a tax based on wholesale prices may violate the state's 1998 master settlement agreement with tobacco companies. Under that 1998 agreement, Ohio receives about $300 million a year, which it uses to pay off billions in bonds. The Department of Taxation also felt that a tax based on the wholesale price of cigarettes would also create problems for the state and wholesalers when it comes to administration and collection, auditing, and enforcing the tax. So they ended up throwing Cuyahoga County a bone and and giving them permission to raise their per pack tax as high as voters will allow. Yeah, I get the flat tax issue being part of what they need to do, but I don't get why they would exempt vaping from being taxed, especially since the law was passed to allow it. As smoking has gone down, more and more people have moved to vaping. And Cuyahoga County considers it a sin tax, and they use that money to fund a whole bunch of cultural arts organizations. As the smoking money has gone down, they've recognized that they need to tax additionally to keep the funding going. And vaping made a lot of sense. I'm sure the tobacco companies hate this idea because they don't want to be taxed on the vaping products. It'll make it harder to sell them. I don't hear anything and I don't see anything in Jeremy's story that explains why they're doing this other than to throw a bone to the tobacco companies. There's no legitimate reason not to let Cuyahoga County do this, except that the lobbyists are in Matt Huffman's ear. That sounds exactly what it is. They're specifically trying to overrule these bans on flavored tobacco in in at least a few cities, Toledo, Columbus, and and Bexley, which is a suburb of Columbus, have these bans on the books. And and this seems very tailored to target uh, those bans. And there really seems no rational explanation other than what you what you just described. So after we talked about it last week, we took a deeper look. It still makes no sense. The only <laughs> explanation is that tobacco companies are in control of our legislature rather than having the legislature serve the people. Way to go, Matt Huffman. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
We've got another Ohioan charged in the January 6th insurrection that Donald Trump sparked to overthrow the U.S. government. What did this Aurora man do to get hit with the latest charges? Laura, this is a little bit wacky. It is. He was singing battle songs while going through the Capitol, according to prosecutors. So battle hymns. He was leading this group of rioters to the Senate chamber. He had to ask directions, though, on the way, which way was the House and which way is the Senate. He compared himself to a Revolutionary War patriot taking back the country. And there was tear gas involved. There was a window broken. He said, it's okay because it's our house anyway. So he ended up being charged. I mean, I think more than 300 people have been charged so far and 55 of them in Ohio. And he's going to be facing consequences, even though what he told prosecutors and authorities was he was just there. He thought he was allowed to be there and he was only in the public corridors that he was allowed to be in. Have we seen any kind of ranking of the states based on who sent the most lunatics to this thing and got charged? (laughs) That's a really good question because there were busloads that came from Ohio. We've heard of several, right? But this was from an Ohio group. Let's see if I can find it in my notes. They, they went on a bus and they all went together. So you wonder, and more than I think a dozen people pointed at him and said, we know who this guy is because they base it all on these videos of you know, surveillance cameras. So you have to think that, you know, as soon as you get one, well, they'll be like, well, I, I was here with this guy. And they put everything on social media. And that's how they got all of these people to find out who they are and be able to charge them later. You'd have to think that since Ohio is not that far from D.C., it's very conservative, it voted for Trump, that we've got to, be, and there's a lot of people who live here, we've got to be one of the higher ranked states. You don't you don't want to be number one in this contest. <laughs> you just don't. You don't want to be first for having the most people that went to overthrow the government. Sad. I, I'm surprised it's taken this long now to, to get people like him, because like you said, there were plenty of witnesses that knew who he was. This, this is one of the later arrests. You would have thought he would have been identified a long time ago, but battle Maybe they hymns. just... Like everything else, they're just working their way through it. They had a backlog of people they have to get through. And sorry, more than a thousand people have been charged. 300 of them have been sentenced to prison. So that is a lot of people and a lot of cases to build. They're probably doing it pretty methodically. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Unemployment in Ohio is way down, but several sectors of the economy have not recovered from the pandemic. While we have added hundreds of thousands of jobs in some areas, which sectors, Lisa, are still feeling the pain? Yeah, the the ones that are suffering the most are public education, retail, um, certain fabricated, you know, machine shops and fabricated metal, and nursing and residential care. So, um, and these figures go back to before the pandemic, right? About May 2019. Um, so, nursing took a really big hit. Nursing and residential care. This includes nursing homes. Twenty one thousand four hundred fewer jobs. That's down almost thirteen percent. Fabricated metal vehicles and machine shops, 10,500 fewer jobs, down 14%. Food services and accommodation, 19,500 jobs lost. And most of these occurred in bars and restaurants. And public education on the local side, 8,500 fewer jobs and 7,200 fewer on the state level. But other factor, other sectors saw 
very robust growth. Transportation and warehousing, 49,100 jobs. This could be something to do with people ordering from Amazon and other online retailers during the pandemic. Um, construction, 16,400 jobs, a lot of them in specialty trades like electricity, plumbing, and concrete. And uh, arts and entertainment and recreation actually saw a bump of about 9,200 jobs. Yeah, I'm surprised that the the nursing jobs are down. I, is it because there aren't positions, or it's because they're not nurses? It seems like there's still a demand for for nurses, but we haven't had the candidates in the past. Yeah, and I found that confusing. That said, that jobs were lost. So um, I, my thinking is is that these maybe are jobs that can't be filled, and so maybe they've just taken them off. You know taking them off the roster. I didn't really understand those stats either. But we have returned to our pre-pandemic, actually above our pre-pandemic employment levels. We hit full job recovery in May of this year, but that's 11 months after the rest of the country or the country as a whole. And our May jobless rate was a record low at 3.6%. So things are looking good, but yes, some industries are continuing to struggle. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Well, Lisa mentioned Amazon. That's one company that keeps adding jobs. Layla, what did the retail giant announce Monday for Ohio? It's a big number. Yeah, Governor DeWine says that Central Ohio is about to see a $7.8 billion investment by Amazon in the next seven years as they build these new data centers out in that part of the state. Backers of this are saying this project is going to create 230 full-time data center jobs and 1,000 secondary support jobs. DeWine says that when this is completed, it will be the second largest single investment by a private sector company in Ohio's history. It's, it's unclear exactly how many of these data centers they're going to build or where they're going to go. Amazon is just saying that there will be several the, the facilities will house computer servers, data storage drives, networking equipment, and other forms of cloud computing infrastructure. According to Jobs Ohio, the state's economic development nonprofit, the state is not offering any economic incentives in exchange for this massive investment. It doesn't look like any of these will be in Northeast Ohio, though. I mean, maybe they're, they're still a mystery, but it feels like these are heading to central and southern Ohio, why don't we ever get any of this big investment? I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. It sounds like Columbus area is really going to be the uh, beneficiary of this. I mean, they're becoming kind of a hub for data centers, right? I mean, Amazon has already invested billions in similar projects, and Google just announced it's building two data centers there as well. You know, Jeremy tells us that as as of the end of 2021, data centers in in the Columbus area covered 4.6 million square feet. And the growth in that realm during the past decade has been the third fastest in the country here in Ohio. Um, so maybe there, maybe it's just a matter of, of wanting to create this, uh, this little niche economy down there. You keep hearing buzz though, that it's hard to do business in Northeast Ohio. We all know city hall is a nightmare to deal with. The County hasn't been the greatest. And I just, it, when you go to Columbus for years now, decades probably, everybody's been in alignment. So when a project arises, everybody gets behind it, everything's rolled out, whereas we're still so bifurcated with all our people in silos that it's it's much harder to do business here. And I have a feeling that that's holding us back on these kinds of projects. I Sounds like... 
Go ahead, Lisa. No, I was just going to say, that sounds like a call for regionalism, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, we should be regional. We should get rid of all of these ridiculous balkanization. But every time it comes up, the the people that profit from it, the mayors and the police chiefs and the fire chiefs, they all fight it and we never get there. I think most people recognize the economic powerhouse we would be if we were a countywide city, be one of the biggest economies in the country. Overnight, we would be this juggernaut but we just don't do it. And we keep sitting back and losing out, whereas Columbus is exploding with economic development. I wonder also, though, do we have the right real estate for projects mm. like this? I mean, I know that's something that, for instance, Justin Bibb is working on to, to create these, you know, to amass the the vacant land so that we can attract big opportunities like this. But Columbus area seems to be just ripe for it. Yeah, that's part of it is they're trying to get the land together. Well, and they don't have a lake blocking the north half of their like expansion, right? If you're Columbus, you have the entire state to expand to. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. Speaking of employment, Laura, I saved this one for your return. <laughs> Which companies came out on top in our annual Top Workplaces special project? Well, it depends if you're talking what how what size of business that you're talking about, and it's not just businesses. We have nonprofits, we have all sorts of firms, we have hospitals, we have schools, but the top of the mega employers, which is a new category this year with more than a thousand local employees, is Progressive, followed by Huntington, and then Medical Mutual, Highland, and Travel Centers America. I want to point out that these surveys, and they are done with Energage, that's our partner. They were are done over the year. They happened before Highland had their layoffs. So if they were to do them right now might be a little bit different. It definitely would be very different. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, for large employees, we're looking at Charles Schwab, National Interstate Insurance, Cross Country Mortgage, Fifth Third Bank, MRI Software. Midsize, we're at McDowell Homes Real Estate Services, which was one of the new ones to our list. A lot of times we find ourselves writing about the same companies over and over again. So it's always nice to be able to feature some new ones. We have stories on the top three in every category. So after that was SPR Therapeutics, Home Instead Cleveland, Extreme Elements and Union Home Mortgage. And then when you get to the smaller companies, which have 149 employees or less, those are Tendon Manufacturing, which is always at the top of our list, Synactic Incorporated, Lanique Specialty to Linen, which was new. They're like a they, they do the linens and the tablescapes for, for events, Perfect Power Wash and Valley Christian Academy. So, and then we have all sorts of special awards that go, you know, if people really hang, ranked high on leadership or collaboration. What we found is when you look at the comments and why these companies rank 
high every year. They really do value their employees and they communicate with them. The employees feel like they have buy-in, that their voice matters and that they're doing something meaningful. Yeah, it's something that that the companies care about because we start getting questions early on. Hey, can I use this in our advertising? When is it coming out? We start fielding those questions early. Um, and I did get a complaint about how can Highland be at the top when they just savage their staff and close their daycare. And of course you answered that the voting was done before. I expect they'll drop in the rankings next year. Your work on this is never done, right? Don't you start up for the next round almost immediately? Well, thank goodness. It's not just me doing this. Like I said, we have this partner Energage and then our, our folks in our sales and marketing office help a lot too. But Energage starts sending out these surveys and they really start in the fall. So they ask, they invite hundreds of companies to participate. And then it's free for the companies to do so. They can if they want. They give out the surveys to the staff. They tabulate all of the responses, tens of thousands of them. And then uh, that gets winnowed down into the list. So it does take months of work to do. Thankfully, I don't have to really start working about worrying about it until that we open up the the application process, we do write about that. And then the work really gets started when we get the lists. And we have to swear every reporter to secrecy. And you know, you know, they have to call these companies or email them and say, we're doing this story on trends or, you know, top workplaces. And they all want to know, well, how we do? Like, why are you calling us? What number are we? And cannot tell them until the big list comes out. <laughs> Although it leaks out. I was hearing from people about some of the the uh, standings last week. So I don't know how they got it. But Well, because Thursday they had... Uh, we had an event and so, but we weren't publishing anything. That was for the people who signed up as a web, you know, like a, a Zoom thing. And so I guess if you went, you knew, but we weren't publishing anything yet until uh, Sunday and it was on print and online and you can read all about these these companies and the trends and inflation and all that stuff on cleveland.com slash top workplaces. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What is it about bridges that make people feel all soft and fuzzy? Might that kind of nostalgia play into Cleveland's plan to tear down a bridge that has stood over the Cuyahoga River for nearly a century? Lisa, what's the plan? Well, City of Cleveland officials saying that demolishing the Eagle Avenue Bridge would be the best option. It's a 1931-era vertical lift bridge. It was the first one in Cleveland. But an inspection in October of 2021 found it badly deteriorated and rusting. It's in critical condition, and they're even worried that a major wind divide in event might cause it to collapse into the Cuyahoga River. So this used to connect Ontario Street to the Scranton Peninsula, but it was closed uh, way back when, um, in 2005, they closed the viaduct and the bridge has been in the permanent up position since then. But because it's a historical landmark, that means that they have to have input from the public before they do anything. So the Ohio Department of Transportation is taking public comment through July 14th. um, they will, if if it will be demolished, which it probably will, they say that ODOT will handle the demolition and a federal grant that's already in place will pay those costs. So um, they crunched the numbers, though. So demolishing it would cost about $3.1 million. It would be the least impact on river traffic because they will have to probably cl- close the river at certain points. If they stabilize it but keep it in the raised position, that's $9.3 million. If they remove and reuse that 224-foot platform, that would be $29 million, and they would preserve the bridge towers. If they return it to function, that's $59 million, but that would not preserve the original span. The, the, the idea 
that I mean, it's a rusted old piece of metal, right? It's, I mean, it's going to fall in. They can't leave it there. But anybody who's been around for a while remembers the the great affection people had for those Hewlett iron loaders mm. on the lake. And when they mm-hmm. were tearing those down, they had saved one and people wailed and moaned about, well, you know, we have to keep this up. It's historic. I, I keep wondering, are we going to see that with this bridge? This was one of the bridges for the Cleveland Bicentennial in 1996 that got that that colorful lighting. Uh, uh, Laura has the photo mm-hmm. of this in her in her office, they, they lit up eight of the city's bridges with these special colors. It's really quite dramatic. This is one of them. So there is history. But my other question about this is we have other unused bridges that mm-hmm. are iconic on that on that river, the, the ones that look like jackknives sticking up in the air. Mm-hmm. If we keep letting them rot, th- is this their fate? Are we going to tear them all down? Because that would change the character of the river. It really would. And I actually ran into a guy one time I was down in the river and he was like responsible for all of the bridges on the river. And I think he said there were like 59 of them or something. I was shocked at the number. But um, yeah, there's just a lot of them out there. I I had to look on a map to figure out where this Eagle you know, Avenue bridge was because it's been closed for so long. So yeah, I, it, I don't know. This one doesn't really seem iconic or attractive but it is a bad historical i'm sorry it is historical yeah it is but it's all there are other bridges along that stretch of river that people love when we do stories on those bridges and maybe this is a wake-up call that okay we might lose this one but what should we do to preserve the others because if they get to the Mm -hmm. level of disrepair where they could fall into the river that that's the next step cleveland will come in with to say hey we got to close these down too and I think we're still waiting on the Center Street Swing Bridge to open back <laughs> up again. So hmm. I sent a note out on subtext about this. I, I, my, the text messages I send out each morning, and I'm waiting to see whether people feel nostalgic or not. You're listening to Today in Ohio. People have nostalgia for their high school, too, or some do. Has nostalgia for Parma High School had any impact on the school board's decision to tear it down? Layla, there's some wailing and moaning going on out in Parma. Yeah, we hear from folks a lot about this, it seems. Residents around Parma High School are are threatening legal action to try to stop the proposed demolition later this year of their 70-year-old high school on West 54th Street. Through Joe Demert, an attorney who's representing them, they've made their case that demolishing the building isn't in the best interest of taxpayers. Apparently, residents in Parma, Parma Heights, and Seven Hills have four times over the past four years voted down a Parma City School District request for a new money levy. So these residents argue that a bond issue to build a new high school should be out of the question, given the district's financial circumstances. They say it would be far cheaper to just renovate the existing school. But the school district has rejected their arguments, and they're now moving forward with the demolition plans. The district's attorney says the, the law gives superintendents and boards of education broad discretion and authority to manage and control schools. And so the, the citizens haven't indicated what they're going to do next. For people who love love their high school years, the, the thought of losing this building where they their personalities were formed or what have you is, is sad. They just don't want to see it happen. They want to keep it there. And that's what a large part of this fight is about. But it is an aged building and you can't keep 
those kind of buildings going forever without a big infusion of cash and residents will not give them any cash. Yeah, I know that's I, true. Go ahead. Laura. I, I, during COVID, like the first two months, um, they tore down my high school. They tore it down a couple months early because kids were not in the building and they needed the room to build the new high school. And I wrote a piece about it because, you know, I mean, everybody's emotions were all over the place during COVID, right? And you feel like you were losing so much all the time. But I ended up going down to the auction and I bought the desk chair that I use all the time in my home office. It was like 40 bucks. It was a teacher <laughs> chair. And, um, and going through with my mom, right? And it was like a really emotional experience to know that these these walls and you're you're right Chris this is where you formed yourself and you know you just you learned so much and you learned so much about your about your friends and you made these you know it was just a formative experience and to know that the building was gone i i hope people do get a chance to say goodbye but you know it sounds kind of hokey but like it, it is a big part of you, and I, I get the nostalgia. <laughs> All right, I'm the other side of the spectrum, or I just don't care if my high school gets torn down. It would be nothing to me. Are you all nostalgic for your high school? I don't know. I I am. I mean, I went to Shaker Heights High, and it's a lot older than Parma's. I think it's close to 100 years old. But they used to have this huge lawn in the front. You know, the Shaker Heights High sits on a big round, you know, piece of land. And there was a big grassy lawn in the front. And then they put a semicircular driveway in the front. And I was like, what did they do to my school? <laughs> <laughs> and Layla and I were talking about the College of Worcester and how they changed the student center. And it looks crappy now. But, I, you know, it's nostalgia problem. Probably talking. <laughs> For me, it's jealousy because when I went there, I felt like the whole campus was a dump, and now it's, it's like <laughs> when, when I got back to Amazing. my campus, we were just like playing like what used to be here. Like Miami builds everything to look like it's two hundred years old, right? So you're like, okay, I know this building is new, even though it looks old. What was it? What was here before? They're constantly building. I think it's that arms race to get kids, right? Well, you got to feel for the people of Parma. They're losing part of their their history you're listening to today in ohio all right laura is it possible cleveland is going to be named the best place in america to have breakfast it is possible no guarantees but we are in the running and that's with grumpy's cafe and martha on the fly both in tremont i believe so the united states of breakfast is good morning america's week-long search for the best breakfast for cities so we don't actually have to compete with the entire country they're doing monday in houston uh, today in Cleveland, Boston, and then Philadelphia. So the theme of the Cleveland competition is Cleveland Comfort, and the winner will be announced Friday. In, in the, sorry, Friday, the winner in each city travels to New York to compete live in the studio on Good Morning America. You can win $10,000. And Good Morning America chose these two restaurants after researching the greater Cleveland culinary scene and then made these selections on interesting backstory, diversity and ownership, and reviews from the media and community. So we'll get some celebrity judges in there. Dominique Mochianu, Good Morning Cleveland anchor Mike Brookbank, and former Cleveland Browns player Josh Cripps. And this, the Cleveland will be decided today, which of the two is going to compete? Yes, and then on Friday they got to face the other other cities for the United States of breakfast. And then they have some big name judges in New York, like Barbara Corcoran from the shark tank show. 
I love Grumpies, so I'd love to see them get into a national competition. Same. That's, yeah. yeah, Grumpies is good. Never heard of the other one. But yeah, no East Side love here. <laughs> I know. The same neighborhood. These are both Tremont, na- Tremont Thank yeah. you. joints. But Grumpies is unique. I mean, it is a Cleveland institution. Very cool that it's getting the attention. We'll have to talk about tomorrow, whether it prevailed. That's it for Tuesday. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening to Today in Ohio. We'll be back Wednesday talking about the news.